I can sum up the entire book of Exodus in one sentence, okay? Now, they don't have this. I didn't give this to them to put on the screen yet, so pay attention. One sentence sums up the entire book of Exodus. He did not take us out to bring us back again. I'll say it again. He did not take us out to bring us back again. Now, some, some of the older, more seasoned saints might remember a song from years and years and years and years and years ago. Okay, first time I heard this song was 1996, no, 95. It was the first time I went to service. Pastor Rick, you know what I'm talking about. First time I went to service at Grace Fellowship in Tulsa, Pastor Bobby Andean's church. They started singing this song. Now, I had never heard that song. Now, you understand, I wasn't raised in this. I was 27 years old by the time I found out that there was a whole Christian experience. Uh, so for me, I used to joke around and say, for all I know, Amazing Grace might have been written the week before I got born again. I, I, I had never heard the song before. You know, some of you were raised different than me, but I was raised in a Catholic church, and, you know, we sang our Ave Marias and stuff like that. And I, so for me, all these songs are like, oh, man, did they just write this? You know, I was like, no, this song's like 400 years old. I was like, so, but when I heard this song, let me read the lyrics to you. I wish I could sing it, but God gifted me to preach. He didn't gift me with a voice. He didn't take us out this far to take us back again. He took us out to take us into the promised land. Though there be giants in the land, I will not be afraid. He took us out to take us into the promised land. You get, get a hold of those words. He didn't take us this far to drop us. He didn't take us out of Egypt only for us to go back into Egypt again. You listening? Now understand those things, okay? Every one of us came out of Egypt. That well, Pastor, it was 3,000 years ago. No, no, no. Egypt represents the world. Pharaoh is always symbolic. We'll get into this again probably towards the end of the night here. Pharaoh is always symbolic of Satan, the taskmaster. What did he do? Is it slave driver? And that's what the enemy does to us. The devil drives us. You know, and that's another thing I need to teach on in the future. Too many Christians mix up the way God operates and Satan operates. No, God's making me do. No, God don't make you do anything. If God can make you do something, there'd be nobody in hell. It's the devil that drives you. The devil grabs you by the throat and puts you up against the wall. God is a gentleman. He doesn't do stuff like that. So he didn't take us out this far to take us back again. He took us out to take us into where? The promised land. Now, there's going to be giants in the land, but I will not fear. Why? Because he took me out to take me into the promised land. Raina, get ready. We're going to need to bring that song back. Hallelujah. So let's get the backstory going here because we're going to jump into Exodus now. Backstory. If you don't understand the backstory and you're just starting the book of Exodus, you're like, what are the Jews doing in Egypt? They're supposed to be in Canaan. They're supposed to be in the promised land. Okay. So Abraham has a son named, oh, my Lord Jesus. You guys better start reading your Bibles. Abraham has a son named Isaac, Yitzhak. 
laughter. Okay? Yitzhak has a son named Jacob, the trickster, whose name gets changed to Israel. Israel has how many sons? Twelve. Representing the twelve tribes. Okay. The youngest son, well, second to the youngest son's name is Joseph. Now, that is a whole series in itself, and I think I taught on that years ago. Probably should bring that one back up again, too. Okay? That, you're going to go to Genesis chapter 37, and then chapter 38 takes a detour, and then you come back to chapter 39, and it goes from 39 all the way into like 47 or 48. Amazing story of redemption. Amazing story of forgiveness and reconciliation. So here's the story. Jacob's son, Joseph, second to the, to the, second to the youngest. The youngest is Benjamin. Okay, Joseph has a dream. And in his dream, now I to this day, there's some people that have their own theories about this. I think he should have kept his mouth shut. So Joseph, what he does is he tells all his brothers and his father and his mother about this dream. And in this dream, the basic symbolism is this, that all of his, there's going to come a day in Joseph's life when all of his brothers, his father, mother, all bow to him. Now, when you're the little kid in the family, that's not how you make friends with your big brothers. Okay? So, so he tells them the dream. In fact, if I, don't, if I remember correctly, he has two dreams, and, and they both get him in trouble, which the lesson from that one is you don't have to tell everybody that everything that God tells you. When God speaks something to you, you need to hold on to it. You know, sometimes we get all excited and want to tell the whole world. No, no, no. Can you understand what I'm saying? You need to keep this open, keep this open, keep this shut. Okay? So, Joseph provokes the wrath and the anger and the jealousy of his brothers. And some of them want to kill him. The rest of them go, why should we kill him? Let's sell him. We can make a few bucks on the side. So they sell their brother to slave traders. And eventually he ends up in Egypt. And in Egypt... He is sold to the house of a man named Potiphar, who's one of the wealthiest and most influential uh, government officials in Egypt, in the kingdom of Egypt at that time. And Joseph eventually then, through a series of events, which I, I don't want to do the whole story tonight, ends up being the second in command in Egypt. Now, Joseph has another dream, actually two more dreams. And in those dreams, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, Pharaoh has the dreams, Joseph interprets the dreams, and it's a warning from God to Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of famine in your land. And Joseph is anointed by the Holy Spirit with wisdom and understanding, and he basically saves the Egyptian kingdom. He uses wisdom, he saves up food, and he's the one who brings him. Now, watch this now. His father is still alive in Canaan. He thinks his son is dead because when they sold their brother, they killed a lamb, took the blood, put it on his robe, and bring it to the father. And that's one of the saddest parts in the scripture, how, how what a loss of compassion or lack of compassion that they throw the robe at their father and say, here, see if this is your son's robe. 
with blood on it. And, and Jacob mourns the rest of his days. But then what happens is they don't realize that Joseph is alive. They don't realize that Joseph has become now the second in command in Egypt. And famine hits Canaan land. And Jacob says, I hear there's this guy in Egypt who's distributing food. Go there and go buy some food so that we don't starve to death here. So the brothers go there. They don't recognize Joseph because he's dressed now as an Egyptian. He speaks the Egyptian language, although he still understands what they're saying. Go read the story. So what happens? Joseph is sent ahead of time into Egypt in order to bring deliverance and to bring then to rescue his family. And then eventually they're reconciled. And then what happens is because the famine is still going, Pharaoh, who's like this with Joseph, says to Joseph, get your family, go get your father, send for them, bring everybody over here and let them stay here until the famine is over, okay? And so Jacob then finds out that his son is alive. Amazing reconciliation takes place. They, 70, 70 individuals, in some places, translation, depending on which uh, original transcripts they use, anywhere from 70 to 74 people. They go, 70 people into, from Israel, from, from Canaan land, go to Egypt, and Pharaoh gives them, because they're shepherds, and the Egyptians don't like shepherds. Has any, any of you been in a sheep farm? They stink. They stink. Okay, and so Pharaoh goes. You were glad you're here, but we hey, we got some really nice land in the north of Egypt. We're going to give you that property. Not not realizing he gave them the most fertile land. Of course, God's behind it. He gives them the most fertile land right on the Mediterranean. It's called the land of Goshen, which today would be like Alexandria and that area there. The Delta Nile Delta, which is full of nutrients. And so their crops grow, their cattle grow. I mean, they're prospering. Well, 400 years goes by. And that's where the book of Exodus picks up. Now, Joseph dies in Egypt and he, lets, he, he makes his brothers and his family, whoever's left his children, promise, don't leave me here. In the future, God's gonna bring us back to our land make sure you take my bones with you. And they do. You read it in the book of Exodus, okay? Uh, so, so the classic line in the scriptures, in the, book, the end of the book of Genesis, beginning of the book of Exodus, is there was a Pharaoh rose up that didn't know anything about Joseph. You know, sooner or later, a whole other group of, of, of uh, authorities rises up in any government that forgets what it used to be like and forgets. And this person who rose up into power didn't know anything about Joseph and the Jews and Joseph being used by God to rescue Egypt from famine. And so now they went from 70 individuals. Most Bible commentators will say at this point in the book of Genesis, in the book of Exodus, they're anywhere from two and a half to three million people. It's 400 years later, you know? Now at some point during those 400 years, we don't know how far in, okay? I don't know that there's anything that gives us indication how long after Joseph they were put into slavery because the pharaohs began to say, hey, these people are multiplying like crazy here. If we ever get attacked by an outside kingdom and this group of people decides to side with them, we're done. So they enslaved the, Egyptian, the Israelites, okay? And history backs up the fact that 
they were the ones that were used by the pharaohs to build these great treasure, treasure cities, to build some of the smaller pyramids, not the big one, not Giza. That was built way before that. Okay, so you can go today and still see stuff that the Israelite slaves built 3,500 years ago. Yeah, 1,500 B.C. Yeah, about 3,500 years ago. Okay, so here we are now, the book of Exodus. The Jews have been enslaved for hundreds of years, and we're going to find something else out about God and about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'll get into my notes. Now, it's time for them to be delivered. It's time for them to be rescued out of this predicament that they got themselves in. Amen? So, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. Say, I thought we were going to Exodus. You got to start in Genesis. Okay? Now, I'm going to throw a statement out at you. We're going to go back into it after we read this. Now, let's just read it. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, what's that name? Abram. Abram. So this is before, this is how early, the, this is before God changed his name to from, from father to father of nations. Abraham, father of nations, okay? And the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And you remember the plagues of Egypt, okay? And in the end, they will come away with? Great wealth. Say it again. Great wealth. Say it another time. Great wealth. Great wealth. Great. Then why, when they make these TV programs, do they show the Israelites leaving Egypt with rags on? Am I right? Hollywood. Hollywood, to make it, oh, if you're going to follow God, you're going to be poor, wear rags, just about God. No, they left with great wealth. Why? Because when you get to the point in Exodus where they're ready to leave, God gives instruction to Moses, and Moses tells the people of Israel, go to all your neighbors' houses and tell them, I like that ring. I like that Gucci purse. I like them kicks you got on. I really like your car. He said, go and ask them for the, they're going to bless you. Why? Because they're owed a few hundred years worth of salary. And they walked out with the wealth. Now I said, what were they going to do with this wealth in the middle of the desert? They built the tabernacle. There's no Home Depot in the middle of the desert when God says to them, build a tabernacle. They spoiled the Egyptians. They plundered them. They took all their money, took their furs, took their silks, took everything, and walked away with what? Is there another verse after this? Okay. Now, watch this now. So God appears to Abraham, and he tells him what's going to happen, right? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper, he introduces the Holy Spirit and tells him, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to remind you of the things that I've told you, 
And he's going to show you things to come. Let's go over it again. Okay, it's actually four things. I don't remember the fourth one. That Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, practical. And when I usually teach on the Holy Spirit, I always make this point. Everybody wants to put the Holy Spirit in the realm of the woo. But most of the time, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in a practical sense. He said, he's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of the things that I've said to you. And he's going to show you things to come. Now, here's the mistake we make as Christians. We assume that it's only good things that the Holy Spirit's going to show you. Jesus said he'll show you things to come. It doesn't always mean they're going to be good. God showed Abraham what was going to happen to his descendants. Told them ahead of time, they're going, to, they're going to go to this nation, they're going to become slaves. However, I'm going to redeem them, I'm going to rescue them, I'm going to bring them out, I'm going to punish the nation and enslave them. So, so, so that what? So that Abraham would then tell Isaac, Isaac would then tell Jacob, Jacob would then tell his sons, so that nobody's blind when something comes. Okay, there's times, now I'm not talking about when the devil is lying to you and trying to get you to line your words up with the disaster that he wants to bring on your life. I'm not talking, it's that when you know on the inside, I don't know, I don't know, something's something's coming, something's coming. We had a prayer meeting here a year before the pandemic hit. You remember, I was standing over here, it was September of 2019, or was it 18? You were here? Oh. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, something's coming, something's coming. Thank God didn't show me what it was. I didn't want to know at that point. But something was coming. We knew, and we were carrying that for months and months and months. So when fall, uh, excuse me, winter of 2020 came, March, March 15th was the last service we had here in person. That's when all hell broke loose. He'll show us things to come. I've told you the story before. One of the greatest illustrations that I could, in my personal life was the fourth anniversary of this church. And that was 21 years ago. We were meeting at the high school. And I just told the story recently in one of the, one of the messages. And as I put my hand on the, on the handle of the door to go into the auditorium at Brick High School, that's where we're meeting. I'll be on Chambers Drill. As soon as I put my hand, it was like I froze in time. I know it was split seconds, but it was like I froze. And Lord said to me this. I heard his clear as bell. Gird yourself up. I was like, oh, no, please. The last time you told me gird myself up, I had my first kidney stone attack. <laughs> that was in 90-something. Uh, in, the, in the late summer of 90-something, the Lord spoke to me and said, gird yourself up. After this problem's over, that was when I was going into bankruptcy and losing everything. After this is settled... Your health is going to get attacked. That was August, September the 9th of 92. Whatever. I had my first kidney stone attack. So, so the Holy Spirit will show you things. It's not always good. But why do you think he shows us? To make us scared? No, so that we're not scared, but we're prepared. 
And so that day when I put my hand on the handle of the door to open up to go into the auditorium to go up to the platform to preach, I heard, today is the fourth anniversary of this church. Up until this point, I've protected you from certain things. But starting very quickly or shortly, I heard, you're going to experience what most other churches experience. And he showed me four families that were going to leave the church. Show me that there would be some, some controversy, there would be some gossip, but I'm with you, I'll protect you, don't worry about it. See, why does he say stuff like that to you so that you start worrying? No. So when it started happening, I was like, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. So he shows us things to come. Now, you want that. Because there's sometimes you might be driving down the road Okay, and you might have driven a hundred times down that road, and all of a sudden, one morning, the Lord, you feel this impression on your heart. Don't go that way today. Go this other way. And then you find out later there was a massive car accident right on the spot that you, what do you think that is? That's the Holy Spirit. You, you see what I'm saying? Now, I've had this happen, and listen to me, please, hear my heart. When I tell you stories about myself, I'm using them as illustrations. I'm not over here like bragging. Trust me, without the Holy Ghost, I'm shot, just like you, okay? But there were times over these past 25 years, you see, because when I first found out that I was going to be pastoring 27, 28 years ago, I started praying this way. Father, I don't want to be a professional pastor. I want to pastor supernaturally. I want to I want to pastor under the anointing. I want to hear from the Holy Ghost. I want my steps ordered of you. I don't want to just follow what somebody else did. I'll go read a book, how to pastor in five steps. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You see what I'm saying? But I didn't realize what was happening like the first five or six or eight years. It was very, very commonplace. Uh, it still happens now, but in a different way. It was very commonplace. For instance, um, I'd be getting ready, getting dressed and get ready for whatever in the morning. And I would say to my wife, something's going on in so-and-so's household. We need to pray. Something's going on. Or I would know I'm going to run into so-and-so today. Or I would know, so especially, especially, uh, now we're slipping into that teaching on the anointing. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> especially, listen, Especially if you, now if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm talking about. Especially like if, like if first thing in the morning you wake up and you have this urgency to pray in the spirit, to pray in other tongues. When you have that, most of the time you're getting prepared for what's coming later on in the daytime. Either a decision that needs to be made or an attack that's going to come or something's going to happen to somebody else and you want to make sure that you know, God's preparing you to have the wisdom and the grace and, and the ability to meet the needs of that individual. You understand what I'm saying? So here's a perfect example, okay? We took a little bit of side trip here. We'll get back. God shows Abraham, watch this now, 400, and really you get to it, it's 430 years in advance. 400 years. Now, what was the purpose of showing Abram? He's not going to be, he's going to be, he'll be dead 300 years. Before this happens, what was, what was the purpose of it? For what? All I'm hearing is, for what? To prepare, to prepare. Okay. But now watch this now. I just, I just, this, just, this just dropped in. Watch this. 
Why did God choose Abram to begin with? Because he said, what, what? Who said that? He would teach. God said, I chose this man because he will be faithful to teach his children. He knew, I can trust this guy with this information because he's got a track record. He's not going to keep it to himself. He'll teach his children who will then teach their children who will then teach their children until you come to Deuteronomy 6 where it says, teach them when, you sit, when, you're, when you're sitting, when you're, when you're walking, when you're whatever. Do you, in other words, look for teachable moments to teach your children. Major factor. Are we teaching our children? I hope so. Because the devil's got a whole team ready to teach them. So, you ready to jump in? Exodus chapter 1. Hallelujah. We're going to start in verse 8. Then a new king, I'm reading from the New International Version. Then a new king, or Pharaoh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Verse 9, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Because right, you, you can't curse God's people. And the worse you treat them, the better he treats them. And they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, what does a midwife do? <laughs> Whose names were Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. These women took their lives in their own hands by disobeying Pharaoh. But they knew that any one of these baby boys could be the deliverer that God had promised. Now, we see that same spirit, because that's a spirit. That's a demonic spirit that was operating through Pharaoh. But we, say this, we see the same demonic spirit operating in King Herod. When he heard about this Messiah that was born in Bethlehem, what did he do? He sent the soldiers there to Bethlehem and the surrounding regions and killed all the babies that were under two years old. You remember that? Same spirit. I got news for you. Same spirit's operating today. That's why there's so much uproar over abortion. There's this, this obsession with perverting the minds of young, innocent children. The same spirit is on the loose now. Why? The deliverer is coming. That should be good news to you. 
Because whenever the deliverer is showing up, whether it was Moses, a symbol of Jesus, or Jesus when he's born in Bethlehem, or Jesus now coming back, that same spirit starts to operate again. Wants to destroy as many as possible before he comes. Amen? Exodus chapter 2. Man, we're we're making strides tonight. (laughs) Verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Who who, who is the tribe of Levi? What, What are they known for? The priests. Okay. Priests. And so if you know somebody, Jewish person with the name Levi, the last name, Levi, anything with that form, or Cohen, okay, they're of the lineage. Their bloodline is the lineage of the priesthood. Amen? Amen. So the man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, and literally what it says in original language, that there was something special about him, okay? She hid him for three months. Why? Because the king was trying to destroy them all. Kill every baby boy. Throw him into the river. Verse 3, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, a bunch of reeds for him, coated it with tar and with pitch, and she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, what's her name? Miriam. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. Verse 6, she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? What a setup. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Not only is this child saved, but his mother's got a nice little income on the side for doing what she would have did anyway. Amen? So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, Moisha, because I drew him out of the water. Now, here's the cool thing about this. The deliverer is hidden and then allowed to grow up right in Pharaoh's palace. Jesus, our deliverer, was hidden by Joseph and Mary to escape being murdered. Remember, they took him, the angel came and said, take the child, take the mother, take the child, and go to Egypt. And then he comes back, and he grows up in plain sight. God has a strategy. And when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on the inside, We turn around someday and realize, wow, God had this thing all planned out. So now let's talk about, because you see, there's no use studying the book of Exodus if you don't understand the comparisons with the book of Exodus and our lives. Because the story of Exodus is our story. It's your story. It's my story. Every one of us has had an exodus. Every one of us was in an evil kingdom. 
Every one of us had an evil king over that kingdom that we were submitted to, enslaved by. Every one of us that are born again has had a Red Sea experience. Okay? Egypt is always representative of the world. Pharaoh is always representative of Satan. Moses is always a representation of Christ, the Messiah. The slavery of Egypt is always representative of sin. Crossing the Red Sea is the born-again experience. Amen? The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is your life and my life here on earth as a Christian. So, well, I don't understand that, Pastor. Well, think about it. In the promised land, it was given to them, but there were, there were cities with walls, right, that you, they had to overcome. There were enemies that they had to fight. There was, there was lack. They needed food. There are giants. There's no giants in heaven. There's no walls and cities to conquer in heaven. There's walls, but they're not to be conquered. There's no lack in heaven. There's no enemies in heaven. They're here. They're here. Now, when we follow God's directives, when we follow the steps that he places us on, we will possess the promised land, our promised land. You have a promised land. It's very individual to you. Could you turn to somebody and say that? You have a promised land. I'll say it to you. You have a promised land. And it's very individual to your life. My promised land might have some similarities, but it's 100% mine. Yours is yours. Now, we can encourage each other, but you can't take mine from me, and I can't take yours for you. You've got to fight your battles. You've got to trust God. You've got to listen to his voice. You've got to have the faith to step out, and when he says move forward, move forward. You listening? You got to do that. Amen? So now the central theme of this whole story in the book of Exodus is really located in chapter 4, verse 22. Okay? God gave instructions to Moses to speak to Pharaoh. Actually, you really want to get technical about it. God gave instructions to Moses, and Aaron gets the one, he's the one who gets to speak to Pharaoh. Moses is there. He's holding on to his staff, looking real cool. But Aaron is the one who delivers the message. Go read it. Then say to Pharaoh, this is God's command to them. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may what? So he may what? Worship. Some translations say serve, okay? But when you listen to the world's view of the Exodus story, even, even you go back to the classic, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, okay? They paint it as, and even to today, even to, they paint it as, well, God called them out so they would be a nation. No, no, God told Abraham he was going to make a nation. Well, the whole Exodus story is about freedom. No, it's not. It's about let my people go, devil, so that they can do what? Worship me. You got to get this. Because some of us came into this kingdom for fire insurance. 
just because we don't want to go to hell. That's not why he called us out of Egypt. He called us out of Egypt that we might. You want to say it again like you really mean it? He called us out of the world so that we might worship him in every form. Whether it is serving. Whether it's, it's whatever we do. Everything we do, we do is unto the Lord. Are you listening? Now, now, if you read the book of Exodus in detail, you'll find out. There's a tiny little phrase there that when they're getting ready to march and ready to leave, it says, and the mixed multitude went with them. So it wasn't just Egyptians. There were some people that left with them not to worship the Lord, but to get out from underneath Pharaoh. Somebody got it. There's a big difference there. Now, almost all of us came into this born-again experience because we were sick and tired of our life. Okay, but you just can't come in because you're sick and tired of your life. It's got to be now, once you find out who this creator is, who this almighty God is, who this savior is, now you got to make the decision. Are you just going to hang out on the fringes or are you going to jump in and worship? Are you going to jump in and serve this God? You know, because there's another thing I need to teach in the future you know there's two different sets of promises for God's people? There's the general promises to God's people, but then there's special promises to his servants. Servants. He delights in the prosperity of his servants. I will say that for another time. So, so... At this point, we need to take an inventory. Why are we in this kingdom now? Are we in it just because we don't want to go to hell? Are we in it because we're, we're sick and tired of the taskmaster, uh, some type of addiction, some type of life-controlling force that was in our lives, and we just want to get out from underneath it? And the funny thing is, I'll guarantee you when you get to heaven, because you see the Israelites have nothing but problems for 40 years. There's some of them that grumbled and complained and some of them the ground opened up and swallowed them. I would not be shocked if it wasn't the mixed multitude that were behind a lot of that complaining and grumbling and troublemaking. Now, the most important thing is make sure you're not part of that mixed multitude that you're in this thing for the right reason. I know there's some people, of course, nobody here would do this. I know over the years there's been people that have businesses, especially when the, when the multi-level market things were real popular years before everybody found out what a fraud it was. They would join churches just to be able to expose themselves to people in the congregation. And I know, I know the red flag goes up when somebody would say, of course, nobody in here would do this. Um, why don't we put together a book with all the people's names in it and uh, like all the different services they offer? No. It would always be that person that would come to me and say, we need to have a, what do you call that? What, what do they call it? A directory. Yeah, and I wanted to say to one person, why not just feed the sheep right into your mouth? 
Why don't I just feed them to you? You sit there with a bottle of ketchup and a knife and a fork, and I'll just feed them to you. No, no, we don't do that. Okay, you don't come into this here to... Let's not go there, because somebody might still have a copy at home. <laughs> My point is this. Not everybody who comes out of Egypt comes out with the right attitude and for the right reasons. You listening to me? So. You learning anything tonight? So. Central theme. Let go of my son. Let go of Israel. Let go of my people that they may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Now watch this now. This is Exodus chapter 4. God is already telling Pharaoh what's going to happen if he doesn't wise up. Okay? Now this is, this is before most of the plagues are even starting yet. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord God says, Israel's is my firstborn, I told you. Let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let them go. Let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. And what's the last plague that hits Egypt? The death of the firstborn. The night of Passover. Amen? Amen. So, everything in the Exodus story happened in order to fulfill this goal, that God's people would be free to worship him. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they would worship him. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a similar nature. Watch this now. Again, we're making comparisons here. Because I guarantee you, if you will take the time yourself, of course, I can't read through the whole thing. Exodus is a big book. But if you'll go home and you'll start making this your maybe daily devotional, start reading through Exodus, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I see the pattern now. That's what happened to me. This is what happened to my life. I, I went through this period of time. You'll see it's all symbolic, okay? All completely symbolic. They went through the Red Sea. It's us getting born again. They're possessing their promised land, okay? But now watch this now. It shouldn't have taken 40 years. It shouldn't have taken 40 years. At the most, it should have taken about three or four weeks. And that's being cautious. They delayed it. But now, they were, it was supposed to be like this. Egypt is judged. Pharaoh is defeated. The people of God come out of that kingdom supernaturally and are heading towards a promised land. They should have taken it, and the next thing you would have seen is the Jordan River. It was supposed to, I'll explain it to you. It was supposed to be Egypt, Red Sea, Jordan River, boom, promised land in its fullness. Why? Why are you saying that, Pastor? Explain it to you. The Red Sea experience is being born again. They become the people of God. The Jordan River experience is a baptism in the Holy Ghost. And that prepared them to take the rest of the land. But they, they put 40 years in between. That didn't have to happen. I remember when I was in Tulsa, when we were living there going to Bible school, I was working at one of the supermarkets there. And it happened to be that the manager of the department that both my wife and I worked in was raised in an old Pentecostal church. Now, mind you, she knew we were students at the Bible school, so we would talk about some things. And we got to talking one day about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And she said, yeah, I've been still, I'm still tarrying. I'm still waiting. She was in her 40s. I said, well, what do you mean you're still waiting? Yeah, I, I, at that point, I still did not understand a lot of doctrines that other denominations had. Well, I've been born again since I'm a child, but I've been seeking the Holy Ghost for like 20-something years. And she got it in her head because she still smoked cigarettes that the Holy Spirit would not baptize her with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 20 years wasted because somebody told her, the old Pentecostal denomination told her, you got to be clean before you can receive the Holy Ghost. My God, if that's the case, none of us would have received the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm talking about? Born again, baptism of the Holy Spirit, now you're ready to go possess your promised land. What did Jesus say to the disciples before he ascended into heaven? Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait, because in a short period of time, you're going to receive the promise of my Father. See, it's the promise of the Father. Listen to me. The promise of the Father, okay? We automatically, again, this all goes back to Abraham now. Okay, this is Abraham descendants that God has promised to take out of this land after they were slaves, okay? Let my people go that they may worship me. Now, we have the tendency to associate Abraham always with material things, wealth. But that was just a side effect of the blessing on his life. The blessing on Abraham's life was not the material wealth. The blessing on his life was that he he gets to become a covenant member with God Almighty. That was what Genesis 15 was all about. That's another. You need to read that whole chapter. You listen to me? Genesis 15. Say that with me. Genesis 15. You got to read that. Because Genesis 15 is the setup for the book of Exodus. Am I throwing too much at you tonight? No. Genesis 15 is the setup for the book of Exodus. See, God was obligated to rescue Abraham's descendants out of Egypt because what happened at Genesis 15. God made a promise to him and said, 400 years from now, your kids are going to be in big trouble. But I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to rescue them. So they're prepared for this. They know. You remember, this is a pattern. I'm going to remind you of some things. Don't ever think that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. Don't ever think that God doesn't know what you need and when you need it and how it needs to come. He knows. Now watch. He tells you. He knows the end from the beginning and calls those things that are not as though they were. Okay? And that's why he changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. He didn't have any kids for 25 years. But he's now the father of many nations. Every place he went, hey, father of many nations. Doesn't have any kids yet. But God was establishing that principle there. Now watch this now. So, so the Holy Ghost shows us things to come. So now, now go, let's see, fifteen. Go six, seven hundred years into the future for the book of Exodus. A prophet Jeremiah rises up. And God speaks to this prophet and tells him, prophesy to this city. Go warn the religious leaders. If they don't stop idolatry, this city's going to be destroyed. This temple's going to be destroyed. Your people are going to be put into bondage. Okay? And tells him. 
my people will be in bondage in another nation for 70 years. 70 years. Book is written, closed. Prophet Daniel, years later, is in Babylon. And he's been there since he's a teenager. He was one of the ones that were deported from Jerusalem when the Babylonians came, destroyed the city, captured all the nobility, all of their sons, all the upper crust of society, destroyed the temple, brought them back to Babylon. And there, Daniel, one day, decides to start praying because he said, it's been 70 years. It's time for us to go back. And that's when the devil inspired those individuals to make it illegal for Daniel to pray because he wanted that prayer to get shut down immediately. And that's when he got thrown into the lion's den. He understood. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Everybody's panicking. Well, we're here, we're stuck. No, 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 we're not stuck. Jeremiah said, the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years. Hey, guess what? Let's go order a cake because the anniversary is coming up. <laughs> we're getting out of here. And he begins to pray and he begins to uh, repent on behalf of his nation. You know the story? Yes. And what happens? Within a couple of generations, Nehemiah is raised up. Ezra's raised up. What happens? Nehemiah gets sent back to Jerusalem and the king paid for it, supplied him with papers so that the soldiers would defend him on the way back to Jerusalem. See, when God's time comes, it comes with favor and provision and blessing and everything. He shows us things to come, okay? This is good. Be encouraged. The things that come and take you by surprise never take God by surprise. And if you really take a step back when stuff happens, you take a step back and you really be honest with yourself, you go, I had a feeling this was going to happen. I had a feeling this was going to come. You know, your spirit knows. If you get uncluttered in your mind, if you'll start to focus on, on, on the Lord, if you'll look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, then he'll, you'll be able to hear. Oh, pastor, I wish I could hear from you. No, you hear from God. It's not a matter whether you, it's a matter of whether you're listening or not. It's not that he's not told. God doesn't talk to me. No, don't say that. The devil wants you to say that. Jesus established it as fact. My sheep hear my voice. And then later on, he says, and the voice of the stranger, they will not follow. They won't follow. Now, if your mind is all cluttered, if you're all over the place, if you put God in a little compartment just on Wednesday night or just on Sunday, and the rest of the week you're living on your own, it's not that he's not talking. He's getting a busy line. He's getting a busy signal. Cluttered, cluttered, cluttered. Focus on the wrong things. Look unto Jesus. Put off the old man. Put on the new. Be intentional about it. Don't just, well, whatever God wants me to have. No, no, that doesn't work that way. God wants you to have it all. 
Tell him, man, what do you think? God has favorites? He likes this person better than the other? No. He loves us all the same. He's willing to, to provide and willing to do and willing to rescue and willing to ransom and willing to heal and willing to deliver and willing to bring peace to everyone who will receive it. It's a matter of receiving it. I was listening to Andrew Womack the other day to a teaching I must have listened to about 10 times already in the past year, okay? And he said this, and every time he says this, I go like, yeah. Do you know that the, the days of creation, God was strategic and intentional about that? What day did he create man? When? Sixth day. Sixth day. Now, if it was us, we would have made us first. And there would have been no light, no water, no oxygen, no plants, no land. We've been treading water for God knows how long. None of it. Because we would have put us, well, I'm the important, I'm the center of the universe. I need to create man first. No, no, no. God, watch this now. God created man after all of creation was in place. Adam never had to go to God and say, listen, uh, I'm hungry. You didn't create cheeseburgers yet. I'm hungry. No, everything was already in place. Now, the Garden of Eden is a prototype of what life is supposed to be like. So you think you have a need that God didn't think about already? You think there's something that you... He's, he knows. He packed this earth with everything we need to thrive, not just to survive, to thrive. Now, sin came in and messed it up, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from God's nature. His nature is to be a provider. You listening? Yes. There's something that my father used to do, and I'm going to tell you this, and we'll wrap it up tonight that I remember from when I was a kid. My father worked in construction. And in the wintertime, if the weather was bad, how many of you know what this means? I know you know. How many know what this means? Broke, nothing. And so when we would pray for snow so we didn't have to go to school, he would say, go ahead, pray for snow. As next week, there won't be food in the house. You know, he's put that fear in you. But watch what he used to do. Now, watch this now. I'm talking about the heart of a father. And my, I'm not, my, my father wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But here's how his heart was towards us. We always, I especially the oldest, always knew when he got laid off. Want to know how? He would come home with a bag with two, two containers of ice cream in it. He wanted to make sure that even though he was laid off, we had some kind of treat. He knew what it was like. He'd walk in the door with the ice cream and go, oh my God, he got laid off. <laughs> As I got older, I started realizing. But we see what I'm saying? It's the heart of the father. Now, if my father, who was imperfect, is capable of doing that, don't you think our father in heaven? Don't you think he's capable? Don't you think he knows when something's coming that he also sends something else good to encourage you? A scripture. You come to church and they're doing your favorite song and you're standing like, yeah, I really needed to hear this. He knows what you need. We just got done teaching this over the weekend. He's the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who knows. And so now we'll see as we continue, but I really want you to read Exodus on your own because we'd have to be here two years 
if we did this entirely. Go and see the nature of God expressed in the book of Exodus, but you also have to look at the nature of the people to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, we have this as an example. Another story of the Israelites. In other words, Old Testament, first covenant. We have these stories as an example to us. For what reason? So we don't do the same stupid things that they did. Amen?